kind of the question we're asking today is, why do we do the things we do? In other words, what, what really motivates us in our walk with Christ? came across a letter uh, that a, a dad wrote uh, to apologize to a certain young man for not allowing this young man to marry his daughter. So this is, this is what the dad wrote uh, to the young man. He said, Dear Marty, I have been unable to sleep since I broke off your engagement to my daughter. Will you please forgive and forget? I was much too sensitive about your mohawk and tattoos and pierced nose. I now realize motorcycles aren't really that dangerous, and I really should not have acted uh, that way to the fact that you have never held down a job. I am also sure that some other very nice people live under the bridge in the park as well. Sure, my daughter is only 20 and wants to marry you instead of staying at Stanford. After all, you can't learn everything about life from books. I sometimes forget how backward I can be. I was wrong. I was a fool. I have now come to my senses, and you have my full blessing to marry my daughter. Sincerely, your future father-in-law. P.S. Congratulations on winning the $300 million Powerball. <laughs> Motives. There was a guy who got in a cab in Chicago, and he was so used to the cabbies just really darting in, in and out of traffic, just basically almost running over anybody they, uh, that got in their way. But this particular cabbie didn't do that. I mean, he just kind of took it easy. If a pedestrian came, he just stopped and let the pedestrian go by, and, and the guy was amazed. So when he got to his destination and got out of the cab, he simply said, Sir, I just want you to know, that was pretty awesome. I've never seen a cabbie do that. Uh, to really respect pedestrians that way. And he goes, ah, it's really not that big a deal. He said, I've learned over the years that when you hit them, there's all this paperwork you got to fill out. <laughs> Motives. So let me ask you again, why do we do the things we do? Chuck Colson writes, societies are tragically vulnerable when the men and women who compose them lack character. A nation or a culture cannot stand unless it's populated by people who act on motives that are superior to their own immediate interests. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, humans are very seldom either totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they often are often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives really are. So let me ask you again. Why do you do the things you do? I mean, what motivates you? And let's put it in context of your Christian life. I mean, what motivates you to serve, to teach, to sing, to play, to give, to even come to church? I mean, what motivates you? What's your motive behind that? The last two weeks, we've been in a mini-series called Dead Men Walking. And if you've got your uh, Bibles, you can op open them up to the, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We've been looking... Um, uh, Basically, the last two weeks, we've been looking in verses 1 through 7. Let me give you just a little recap. Uh, the first week, we basically looked at two very important things that, that we discovered. The first is this. You can't save you. I mean, that's the bottom line. You can't save you. I mean, Paul starts out there in the first three verses, basically says you're dead men walking. In other words, you're dead in your sin. You follow the ways of the world. You follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan. Uh, basically, the only thing you deserve is the wrath of God. That's where he leaves it in verse 3. Without Christ, our life is pretty hopeless because we can't save us. 
You can't save you. But then verse 4 starts, and everything changes. And then we discover this. You can't save you, but guess what? He can. Because he goes on and he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, of the great love with which he loved us, has made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up. You see, you, you can't save you, but God can. In week two, last week, we looked at, uh, we looked at the, a, a symbol of that resurrection. Because if you remember, one of the things we talked about was this. Our, our salvation is no small deal. Because God didn't have to just give you CPR. God had to resurrect you. Why? Because we were dead. Apart from Christ, we're dead in our sin. He had to resurrect us. And a symbol of that resurrection in our life is baptism. Baptism by immersion. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Last week, we saw eight baptized in the Christ in the first service. This week, we had another baptism in our first service. First service. Emily uh, McCrory came and confessed Christ and placed her membership and was baptized into Jesus. And we looked at what baptism really means and why we do that in our life. And some of you are sitting out there need to do that. You've never been immersed into Christ. And on your connection card, I would challenge you to just mark that because we want to get with you. I've got appointments this week with people who are ready just to be baptized into Christ. And I think, Eric, Sheila, thank you guys for your example last week and your family's example as you guys were baptized into Jesus and you followed and you were obedient to his word. That's awesome. Now this week we want to continue on, starting in verses 8 and 9 and then verse 10. And what we want to look at is our response to what God has done. I mean, what should our response be? What should motivate us because of the love and the mercy and the grace that he has poured on us? What should our response be to that? Well, let's begin. Let's look, starting in verses 8 and 9. This is what we find. Look what Paul writes. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Let me read that again. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things or the works we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, we can't brag because we had nothing to do with it. You see, once again, Paul tells us that we've been saved by grace. And grace means that our salvation is completely separate from any doing or any work on our part. Grace means that God does it all for, the, for Jesus' sake. It is a gift that is given, not a reward that is earned. And here's the cool part. Every other religion, cult, or spiritual belief teaches that salvation depends on the good things that we do. These are commonly called works. But Christianity alone teaches that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. I mean, if he gave us what we deserve, guess what? We would all be separated from him for an eternity. Because that's what we deserve. Because nothing good lives in us. That's what the first three verses tell us in Ephesians 2. We are dead in sin, and no amount of good on our part is going to change that. 
The only reason that God is declared as not guilty is because we have been set free from sin by his amazing grace and mercy. And we have been brought back to life through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. You and I, we will never be good enough to satisfy God's wrath, God's anger. But guess what? Jesus was. That's the cool thing. Now, I shared this with first service. I'm going to share with you, this with you. It's just kind of a free of charge, a side note. But it's just kind of weird. This morning, I woke up about 6. I'm going, man, I got an hour before the alarm's going to go off. So I, I tried and I did. I went back to sleep. But in that hour, I had the craziest dream. I don't know why I had the craziest dream. And the dream was this. I was in prison. Not as a prisoner, necessarily. I was, just, I was just out of prison. And while I was there, all these people, all these prisoners were coming to accept Christ. They were coming to give their life to Jesus. And, and in this big pool, we were just baptizing people left and right. And the thing that they kept saying was this, I'm set free. I'm set free. You and I, without Christ... We are prisoners of the enemy. We are in chains. We are in bondage. We are prisoners. But because of what Christ has done for us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done, those chains have been broken. And those bonds are, are taken away. And you and I have been set free. I don't know why I, I, I dreamed that, but I did. I don't know if it was because I was going over my message in my head. I don't know. But it reminded me of the freedom that I have because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. If we stop here in verses 8 and 9, it's pretty clear what our place in the salvation process is. Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, in verses 8 and 9, it, it makes it pretty clear that we are saved by grace. It has nothing to do with us so that we can boast about it has nothing to do with us. But here's where things get interesting. It's when we go into verse 10. And if we're not careful, things can get a little confusing. Look what Paul writes. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Let me stop there for a moment. Other translations use the word workmanship, but they both carry the same idea. That which is made, or a manufactured product. What Paul is saying is this. We are God's creative piece of originality. He has created us. He has made us. He has manufactured us. We have, begun, we have become God's showpieces, his poems. And this is the reason. Because he goes on and he says this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Or your translation may say, to do the good works that he has planned for us to do. You see, God intends on using us to demonstrate to the world just how far his amazing grace and mercy and love goes. In other words, your conversion is not the end. Your conversion is just the beginning because God's recreated us so that we can do good things, so that we can do good works that he has created us to do. And for me, years ago, this is where the confusion came in. Because on the one hand, Paul says, we are saved by grace, 
It is, has nothing to do with you. It's not by works so that anyone can boast. And then in the very next breath, he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So it's not by works, but we're created to do good works. And I was confused. I'm thinking, how does these come together? How do we bring this together to really understand what our response to his amazing grace and love really is? How do those things work together and tie together? Let me illustrate it like this. Because maybe it will help us when we think of why we do the things we do. Why we serve, why we teach, why we sing, why we give, why we go to church. If you've been with us very long, I'm going to share some things that I've shared with you before. It's been several years ago. And so if you were with us several years ago, I hope you remember this because it means you, you were paying attention that day. So if not, then you're going to hear it for the first time. But hopefully this will help you to understand what our response should be and what should motivate us. One of the things as parents you learn, and that is this. Kids learn at a very early age how to get things from mom and dad, don't they? I mean, think about it. I mean, I think they come out of the womb knowing how to get things from mom and dad. That's why when a baby's hungry, the baby cries. When it needs its diaper changed, it cries. You know, when it wants to be picked up, it cries. You know, it's, they, they just know how to get things from mom and dad. It's kind of inborn in us. There was this time in my life when, when I really wanted a new bike. I was nine years old, and I just wanted a new bike. you got to understand, when you've got an older sibling, guess who gets the, the hand-me-downs? The next one in line, right? And so instead of getting a new bike or having a new bike, I got a bike that was very old because they got it as a used bike. Now, you also got to understand this. I'm nine years old. Every summer, every day of that summer, I'm riding that bike to play baseball with the guys at the park. And my older sibling was, a, was my sister. I got a girl's bike. It's not real cool to ride a girl's bike to a baseball game when you're a guy. But that's, what I, that's all I had, and that's what I had to do, and so I really wanted a new bike. In fact, I didn't want just any bike. I wanted this bad boy right here. <laughs> now, this, this was a Swin five-speed, banana seat, big handlebars. That's what I wanted. Now, because I wanted that, my birthday had already passed. Christmas was months off. This was in the summertime. So I, I had to put a three-phase plan of operation in, in the practice in order to get that bad boy there. So this is what I did, nine years old. So I go home, and phase one was clean my bedroom. Now, I hadn't cleaned my room in three years, okay? I mean, uh, it looked like a grenade went off in it. I mean, there's just things everywhere. So I went home, and I cleaned my room. I made my bed. Even though the sheets kind of went uphill, didn't matter. I made my bed, um, picked up all the toys, I folded all the clothes that were on the floor, dirty and clean, didn't matter. And then I put them away. Um, and then I got everything picked up and the floor pretty clean, and then I sat on the bed. Because, you see, my room was kind of over the dining room in the kitchen, and I knew Mom was downstairs, and she was going to hear all the commotion that was going on upstairs, and I knew she'd be up. Sure enough, she came up. 
She came down the hall, knocked on my door, and I said, come in. Mom comes in, and she looks around, and she screamed. She hadn't seen the floor in three years. She didn't know what to think. And as she's smiling and looking around, I just go up to her and I say, Mom, could I have a Ford Mustang? I'm nine years old. I can't drive anyway. They're not going to buy me a car. But you see, what you got to understand is you start big and you work your way down. That's how you do it. And so I asked for a, a Mustang and Mom, like most moms, said, no. And you act all hurt. Oh. Because that was okay because then the next day was phase two. Phase two was vacuum the living room. Now, I was going to bring out, we have a vacuum in the back. It's a little bit similar. It's a big, it's a big Hoover. But the big Hoover that we had when I was growing up, no kid, man. This thing was made like with leftover tank parts from some war. I, I don't know. You, you turned it off. You know, when you turned it on, the vacuum, the house shook. Air raid sirens went off. You know, buildings collapsed in town. And people are going, what is it? Well, I think the Joneses are vacuuming again. So I get the vacuum out, I'm vacuuming the living room, and, and I don't know what that noise was until I look around, and for some reason I had left the door of the gerbil cage open. Now that wasn't too bad because mom hated the gerbil. So I just finished vacuuming. See, mom went to the grocery store, but I knew when the stuff started shaking at the grocery store, she'd know somebody's vacuuming at home, and so she'd be home. Sure enough, mom comes home, and I finished, I finished vacuuming, I'm on the couch. Mom comes home, puts the groceries away, comes in the living room where I'm sitting. And she looks around and she looks around to clean the living room. She looks at the empty gerbil cage and she smiles. And I say, Mom, can I have a motorcycle? And she goes, No. I said, Oh, act all hurt. It's okay, start big, go down. So the next day was phase three. Phase three was mow the yard. No kidding. I'm not making this up. When I was first growing up, we didn't have the ring, ding, 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 the power mower. We had the one with the wheels and these blades that just spun around. And so I was pushing, and I was mowing the yard. Remember, I'm nine years old. Mowing the yard, part of the garden, a little bit of the flowers. I was just in a hurry. I just wanted to mow. So I mowed, and, and Mom was in the kitchen. She saw me mowing, and she made some lemonade. She came out, sat down on the patio with that lemonade, and I finished, and I came over and sat down by her, had some lemonade, and she looked around at the clean, clean yard and, and mowed. She tried to avoid looking at the flowers of the garden, and I said, Mom, could I have a measly old Swin five-speed? And she thought a moment, and she remembered the clean room, the clean bedroom, the folded clothes, the bed was made, she remembered the clean living room and the empty gerbil cage. And she saw the lawn that was freshly mowed. And she said, you know what? I think when your dad gets home, we'll talk about that. But I think we can do that for you. And playing it to the max, I said, I never expected it. I mean, you got to play it up. Now, now, let me ask you, why did I do those things? Why did I do those things? Because they were all good things, right? Cleaning my room, making my bed, vacuuming the living room, mowing the yard, all good things. But why did I do that? What was my motive behind doing? What was it? I wanted something, right? I wanted a new bike for my mom and dad. And so I did those things out of want. Now I want you to hold on to that thought for just a moment. Because here's the problem 
with so many believers today. We do things out of want, don't we? We do things out of want. We want something from God. And so it's like we say, hey, God, did you, I don't know if you know this, but I taught today, or I helped downstairs with the kids, and, or God, I don't know if you know this or not, but you, but you should have seen that diaper, man. That thing, that thing, there was a major blowout, but I had to change it. It was okay. I changed it. Or God, I don't know if you noticed, but did you see the amount on the check I wrote today? Yeah, I know. I haven't written one in a while, but did you see that amount? And it's like, okay, God, I don't know, but I, I, you know, I really would like a new car or maybe a better job or a new house. And we find ourselves serving and doing because we want something from God. Maybe that's why James could write these words. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. There's another time in my life. I was six years old. And when I was six, where we lived, um, across the street was the woods. And then before the woods, right uh, right past the road was this huge ditch. Now, to a six-year-old, it was huge. To most people, it may not have been that big. But all I know is that when I was down in that ditch, I could not see the road above me because, well, one, I was six years old, you know, so I, that was part of it. So I, 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 when I, I was down there. And, and so when I was six, we, we watched war movies, okay? John Wayne, we watched war movies. And my buddies and I, we're out playing Army, and we're going along in the ditch into a six-year-old who's playing army, rocks aren't rocks. They're hand grenades. And so we're out blowing up the neighborhood. And so as we're going down through this ditch, there's this big rock that's in front of me. And I go over, it's a landmine. And I pick it up. And all the kids are going, I don't think he can throw it. Yeah, I think he can throw it. No, he can't throw it. And I take it with everything I have. I threw it over the top of that ditch. And then we heard, it's really worse than that. Because when we got up on top, it landed on the windshield of a new Ford station wagon. Which would yeah, which wouldn't have been too bad except it cracked the windshield. Which wouldn't have been too bad except for the fact the guy that owned it was sitting on his front porch and saw it all happen. Which wouldn't have been too bad except for the fact that he knew me. And he went in and called my dad. You know what I did? I went home and that was the first time I cleaned my room. And I made the bed, and I picked up the toys, and I folded the underwear, and I put everything away. And when I was six years old, I had a desk set right in front of the window. And to a six-year-old kid who's in big trouble, if a little bit of pledge gets it a little clean, clean, you use the whole can. So a whole can of pledge, a whole roll of paper towels, it's got about that much wax on it. You put a book on, it just slides off. But I cleaned it. And then I sat down on the bed waiting for the inevitable to happen. And it did. It happened. My dad came home two hours early from work. Not a good sign. Okay. Not a good sign. And I can still remember the muffled conversation between my mom and my dad as my dad walks in the door. Where's he at? Oh, he's upstairs. I'm going to kill him. Oh, don't kill him. And so my dad comes upstairs and he knocks on the door and I say, who is it? I mean, I knew who it was. And my dad walks in. And as soon as he walks in, he goes like this, and he begins to take his belt off. 
not a good sign. I mean, you know things aren't going well for the little guy tonight, okay? But he gets the belt about halfway out, and he stops. And he looks at the clean floor. And he looks at the clean bed. And he looks at the toys that have been picked up and put away in the closet. He moves to the side to avoid the glare off the clean desk. And he smiles. And I thought I was off the hook, but I wasn't. It just gave me more room to swing. Now... And let me ask you, why did I do the things that I did? Making my bed, picking up the toys, picking up the clothes, dusting and cleaning my desk. Why did I do those things? Two reasons. One was I I, I felt guilty for what I had done. And the second reason was this, because I was afraid of the punishment that was about to happen. I want you to grab that for a moment. Because here's the other problem we have with a lot of believers today. You do good things. You serve, teach, sing, play, give, go to church. But you do them because you feel guilty for what you did the night before or the week before. You feel guilty for how you chewed your family out or your kids or because you cheated on your wife or your husband. And so we do out of, out of guilt. Or we do because we're afraid that because of what we've done, somehow God's going to turn us into a McNugget someday and just zap us. And so it's fear that drives us. It's fear that motivates us. Maybe that's why John wrote these words. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So what is our response? If it's not out of want, it's not out of guilt and fear, then what is our response? What should motivate us? Well, there was another time in my life. I was in college. It was my, I think it was my junior year in college. The girl I was dating, I was at uh, Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, and the girl I was dating at the time was at uh, Great Lakes Christian College in Lansing, Michigan. She was from Toledo. I knew that her dad had been sick and her dad had heart issues, and I knew he had been in the hospital. Now, the dorm floor that I was on, the dorms when I was going through college, we only had one phone for the whole floor. It was a pay phone that was at the end, and it happened to be right outside our door, my roommate and I, my, my door. Well, about, it was about 8 or 9 o'clock that night, when the phone rang and my roommate answered it, he said, hey, Jerry, it's for you. And when I answered it, it was Janice, and she said, "Um, my dad died tonight. She said, is there any way you could come? I said, yeah, I'll I'll come. So I got a hold of my professors, and I got a hold of the people I needed to, and I made all the arrangements, and the next morning, loaded up, headed out to, to make the drive from Joplin, Missouri to Toledo, Ohio. I spent the night that night in, at Brazil, Indiana, at my mom and dad's. And I was glad I did because my grandmother had been in the hospital. I got to go up and see her that night and spend some time with her because she wasn't doing well. And she was going home that next day. And the next morning, got up, drove up to Toledo. And uh, day after the funeral for Janice's father, we were all in their living room just sitting, talking. And they were talking, sharing about... Uh, their dad, he was just a great guy. When the phone rang, 
their phone rang because this was before cell phones. And um, they answered the phone and said, Jerry, it's for you. So I got the phone, and it was my dad. And my dad said, hey, we need you to come home. Your grandmother died this morning. So I got in the car, loaded my stuff, got in the car, and drove from Toledo back to Brazil, Indiana. Now, when I got there, I did a lot of good things. I did a lot of good work. I helped my mom around the house, vacuum, helped her cooking, with the cooking. I helped my grandfather. I went and helped clean his house. I mowed his yard. I even did part of my grandmother's funeral, the first funeral I'd ever done or been a part of. I did it with my home pastor. Now, what you know, not once when I did those things did I ever want anything from my family, not once. Not once did I ever want anything from my grandfather. I didn't do those things because I wanted them to see what I would, had done and, and to say, hey, you know what, I could use a, you know, 20 bucks more a week or you know, college is getting expensive or how about a new car, nothing like that. Not once did I do those things because I f- felt guilty for anything. Not once did I do those things because I was afraid that if I didn't, that somehow I'd be punished. Not once. Do you know why I did good things and I did good works? I did those things because it was a demonstration of the love that I had in my heart for my grandmother, period. I did it out of love. Now let me tell you, if you can grasp a hold of that this morning, then you're going to you can grasp a hold of what Paul's telling us. Because the reason we do has nothing to do with our salvation. God took care of that. The reason we do is simply because we love the one who saved us. The reason you teach, the reason you serve, the reason you give, the reason you even come to church should solely be because I want to demonstrate just how much I love my God. And my doing is not about who I am. It's about demonstrating how much love I have for him. You know, I thought about this. And I thought, if people in our churches could just grasp this one principle, we would never have to run. We would never run into that problem of volunteers. We would never have to have that problem of how are we going to recruit more people in children's ministry or in this ministry, in this ministry. You know why? Because we would have people coming to us saying, I just want to serve because it's a demonstration of the love I have for my God. And I'm here. And God has saved me. Use me. Allow me to be a demonstration of his love as it flows out of my heart to others. We need to reflect. Let me ask you. Why do you do the things you do? I'm serious. Why do you do the things you do? What motivates you in your service to your God? I mean, do you understand the fact that we can't do it because we want something from God? We can't do it because we feel guilty for the things that we have done. Because you know why? 
Because he's already taken care of those things. I've been set free from that. And we don't have to worry about punishment because Jesus already took our punishment on the cross. So why do you serve? Why do you teach? Why do you give? Why do you come to church? What motivates you today? My prayer is it just is simply the love that you have for your God. And if that motivates you, it'll change the rest of your life. And it'll change this church. So where are you at? We're going to reflect. Adam's going to come and he's going to play. We're just going to reflect on what God has for us. If you have a decision to make, I would encourage you to come. Just come and we'll pray with you and we'll encourage you. But just come. Let's reflect.